Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Well, my friends, we are officially kicking off our series on glittering vices, on the seven deadly sins. Um, I'm going to be joined here at the top of this season and at the top of this series by my wonderful co-host, Miss, Mrs., Mrs., I always say Miss. It's okay. Mrs. Laura Hashimov. Laura, welcome back to the pod yet again. Hello, Podland. Are you excited about the vices, Laura? It's kind of a weird subject to be uh, tackling early on like this. No, I'm excited because learning the language of virtues and vices was incredibly formative for me in my mid to late 20s. And I always thought, I wish I knew this earlier. So whether you are uh, younger than me or older than me, uh, there's no better time than to get these <laughs> ideas under your belt. It's been really helpful for me as I think about my own spiritual life and development to have these categories, um, these classical categories. Yeah, because we're not just talking about vices. We're going to be talking about the remedies, which is the virtue usually mm-hmm. that counterposes the vice. Um, and what's interesting, you and I growing up in Protestant, sort of low church Protestant land, uh, mm-hmm. Protestants very nervous about holiness uh, working your way to heaven, right? So right. very nervous about talking too much about virtue and vice because we wouldn't want to confuse anyone into saving themselves. Uh, I don't think that's something we need to be as concerned with these days. Uh, the subject of personal holiness is just is not talked about hardly at all. I mean, mm-hmm. this seems to be, as you say, a wonderful way to get some traction with maybe some strange words that yeah. can kind of bring a mode of what self-examination um, kind of in front of ourselves, give ourselves a little room to look at ourselves maybe in that way. Um, I'm assuming that's how it sort of struck you in your 20s when you kind of encountered sort of the virtue and vice language. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it, it gave me the categories I needed to reflect on and to think about rather than sort of uh, sin being this vague concept and sort of this yeah, spooky spirit to be afraid of. Rather, it was like, oh, it's these specific habits or postures of the heart um, that lead to specific actions and ways of living and interacting with others. So that I found that to be incredibly helpful. And um, it also is a nice taste of church history a bit to talk about these things and to see what historically the church has um, talked about and, and advised against and been wary of in in congregants and leaders, etc. So I think that's it's a really nice all-in-one packaging because it's based in scripture, developed throughout church history, and then obvious in practice and life. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, she opens with a chapter called Gifts from the Desert. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what's such a fascinating way of thinking about this too, is the official sort of list that we come to think of as the seven deadly sins. That tradition more or less seems to start with the church fathers, namely this guy Evagrius of Pontus. But mm-hmm. the church father movement is what? There is a decadent form of Christianity. There's a Christendom that's emerged in which suddenly it is so common to be Christian. Serious Christians aren't sure if anyone's Christian, including (laughs) themselves, right? Suddenly they're in an environment in which it is much more difficult to discern where they're at with the Lord and whether they're actually dealing with the issues of their heart. So uh, 
groups of them, usually individually, but sometimes there will be groups that form, uh, will go out into the desert to just sort of get some clarity, some headspace, not to flee from the difficulties of life, but in fact to confront the difficulties in the soul. And that's where this language starts to become sort of codified or formalized as Evagrius of Pontus and then his disciple, this is the fourth century, his disciple John Cassian um, also works with the language of this list. Um, a little bit later, it's Gregory the Great, one of the great, I mean, truly great uh, figures of the church and one of the great popes. Um, kind of gets it to the seven that we think of, or at least more or less the seven. Um, and then by the Middle Ages, we have St. Thomas Aquinas uh, with a famous version of this in the Summa Theologica. Um, but the idea that it comes from a personal need to examine oneself and figure out whether or how uh, I am actually in relationship with the Lord yeah. and what is keeping me from that and how I can actually make progress or reform my heart and my life so that I am getting closer to the Lord and not being distracted from that. This is an intensely sort of practical place that this actually is sort of born in the history of the right. church. And I think there's there's such a practical output in uh, spiritual direction and confession, whether that's confession in the formal sense of to a priest or just confessing sins unto the Lord, like having those categories. I think something that's another thing that's been formative in my 20s has, in terms of getting terms, is like getting terms for emotions, right? Like, I'm feeling upset may not be as helpful as like I'm angry or I'm disappointed, mm -hmm. right? And so um, I think having these terms of the vices and the virtues help me articulate that to others, um, whether in that sort of confession situation um, and also to the Lord and to my own self of like, oh, actually what I'm dealing with right now is avarice, is greed. Mm. Um, and that there's a, a level of honesty to self. And then when we're talking about spiritual direction or growth or formation within community, um, it's easier for me and for others to sort of know some of my habits or pitfalls because we've put that label on it and it's um not a label on it in the negative sense but in the in the helpful way of like oh i i can now more easily identify it when it pops up because i i know what it actually is not just sort of this vague sense of unease correct me if i'm wrong but i hear you saying christians forget the enneagram let's talk about the actual <laughs> sins that beset our hearts yeah <laughs> I guess that's what I'm saying. If there was a schema to be interested in, deal with sin instead of personalities. Um, yeah, it's true. That, that might be. be a little harsh, but we are really drawn to schemas of other kinds oh, yeah. that kind of sort of flatter us maybe. Oh, I'm just a four. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think that we, yeah, and I guess maybe that's a good warning as we talk about these like categories is um, don't over categorize yourself even in the midst of these things that are grounded in, in biblical truth um because we don't just have one that applies to us or you know right all life is multifaceted <laughs> indeed well and i think that's actually a good way to get into the one that we're going to tackle first which is the subject of vainglory now i say it's good because most people would put in pole position in their list pride Mm -hmm. And yet, Rebecca makes the argument that 
pride came to be thought, especially I think it was by Gregory the Great, um, as so fundamentally the root of all of the sins, of all of the vices, that it, it wasn't this discrete standalone category, but it was in fact, uh, these are expressions or manifestations of pride, whatever way you take that, which I think speaks to what you were just saying. Look, we all wrestle with the ancient sin of pride, right? right. Rebellion against God. I want to live life on my own terms or whatever it may be. And so thinking of pride as the root of everything that follows means none of us are out of this or none of us are just a couple of these, right? Because the root is the shared core mm-hmm. of the struggle of, of human beings to, to resist or to obey the Lord. Um, and so, so when, we, when we start with this first one, and I, I love starting with this version because it's just such a strange word that people don't use anymore. So it's, it's really capturing kind of what you and I really love about um, this book, uh, making things sort of defamiliarized or strange to Mm -hmm. us so that we can see something more clearly uh, that is very intimate to us as well. So the the word itself is vainglory, okay? She's going to distinguish that from from pride proper in certain ways. Um, But I'm going to just read some part of her opening section um, to just describe what are we talking about when we talk about this sort of particular category. And I think we'll all be able to kind of jump into this pretty easily from here. So she writes, Vainglory is the excessive and disordered desire for recognition and approval from others. Whether we are successful in gaining this approval or not, we all know what it is like to desire public acknowledgement and approval of our own person or our own accomplishments. There is a deep part of us that longs to be known and approved of and to have this acknowledged. Take, for example, a stay-at-home mother's work. Most of her labor is invisible to others. Sometimes it doesn't even get counted as work. Do you work or do you just stay home with the kids? She knows in her heart that her investment in her children's upbringing is worthwhile, but she often feels like she may be the only one who believes and acknowledges that. The fact that this is painful to her is testimony to the human need for recognition and approval. St. Thomas Aquinas concurs, quote, it seems, to belong, it seems to belong to a natural appetite that one wish one's goodness to become known, and we can rightly desire to please other human beings. But this desire so easily goes askew. The flattery of others, writes William Ian Miller, is narcotic and addicting. It preys on two desperate and inescapable desires to be thought well of by others, and to think well of ourselves. So vain glory, Laura. Um, Opening with that definition, this fundamental need, right? Mm -hmm. Not just this, oh, what an outrageous (laughs) desire you would have, but this fundamental sort of like human need to be acknowledged, to be seen, right? Right. Starting with that place, her example is so sort of like almost... Uh, oh disturbing like well, she's giving this example of the stay-at-home mom who no one sees the work she does mm-hmm. and the the value it has or recognizes that and she's using that most vulnerable place to describe sort of the heart from which all of us sort of seek some kind of acknowledgement or recognition right and i think that that it as with all these vices and virtues right there's this sliding scale of it, it's a good thing to be known by people, to be seen and to be loved by others. Um, and 
to have good work acknowledged um, by people who honor you is a good thing. Mm. But then we fall into that that sliding scale can become a little bit too much where we actually do the work for recognition or we um, have this insatiable hunger for fame that can't seem to be satisfied or that the motivating reason we get up in the morning is for other people seeing us. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a tough balance, I think, as Christians to know what is the good honoring um, another believer or having our work honored versus uh, craving that attention and operating for that attention. She says, right, the excessive and disordered desire for recognition and approval. Mm-hmm. But starting with that place where it is just human to seek some kind of acknowledgement and some recognition. We want people to think well of us. That might not be a bad thing at all. We we want people to see the work we do, the people we are, and things like that. But an excessive and disordered desire for recognition and approval from others. Uh, you and I always have that context of, of teenage life, of high school oh, students, yeah. um, you know, in which this is at peak operating uh, ability and capacity and crippling uh, yeah. most things that are happening in the world of a teenager. And yet, you and I have also repeatedly talked about how adults, by and large, because of our hybrid online lives, are now very much in that same world all the time of seeing or being seen being seen of seeing and then therefore not being seen of seeing mm-hmm. how others see and therefore feeling less and less seen because there is now not the public of your small town or your school yeah. but the public of the world Mm-hmm. So I might be seen by five people, but guess what? There are five billion people that could be seeing me and are not. Yeah, the potential. I think that's especially um, debilitating, right, is the, po- the potential to be known by so many um, has never been closer to our reach. And so um, not being known by a huge number of people feels somehow like are we, we're doing something wrong or are we've misstepped, our, our work is not of value. Going back... Um, for the past decade, people have been doing these studies and with all studies. I mean, they're a little bit questionable. I'm not a statistician, but um, like they've done studies among little kids who have started ranking since 2012. The desire for fame amongst little kids has just jumped. They've outpaces um, desire for good work or or family or things, um, or at the very least, it's ranking much higher than it used to. And why is that? It has to be because there's the potential um, to be to be famous, to be known in a way there never was. It used to be just sort of like Shirley Temple uh, was the one-off, but now any single video could go viral, and or you could become a meme based on a picture your parents posted, right? So there's a chance if you just catch the right moment and the right wave. And I, I'm really glad I'm not a teenager at this point in time. <laughs> it's brutal. Well, and because you know, if you talk about uh, celebrity culture we think of celebrity culture as sort of movie stars and that's somewhat true for them but celebrity culture for them are like vloggers who have made it to millions of subscribers by doing unboxing videos of toys since they were 10 or something right and we're like i don't even know who these people are and they're like well there's several of them and they are legit famous and my age and if i saw them i would freak out yeah and you and i are like oh well celebrities are sort of this sort of abstract category of these beautiful people who have been doing movies for a while or these musicians who have whatever but like in their world they're like no they're like me 
Mm-hmm. They're a lot like me, and and they just but they made it, and 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 as you say, the possibility, so called, uh, is just so different uh, that it seems to be, man. If you're only seen by your small school, uh, yeah, that's, that's nothing. It's almost Oof. like I I don't even know how to how you would live in that space for very long um, because yeah. it's so it's so difficult to think of in terms of what you could be experiencing but are not. Right. Yeah. That recognition, like wh- maybe that's the question uh, at the heart of those who especially struggle with vainglory is how much is appropriate recognition. Right. Right. What is appropriate acknowledgement? How many dear friends could you have? How, how many relationships yeah. should you actually be in? And I not don't just say it to the teenager. I said to the adults. Yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. if some if two or three people acknowledge my work who know me well and the, the, the effort I put into something, shouldn't that be enough? And if it's not, then, then how, whoa, then how do we, how right. do we make that enough again? Like that, that seems to me the particular challenge is we buy into this belief that people who are not close to me or friends of mine, their recognition somehow matters even though I don't even know them or mm-hmm. I don't know them well. Yeah, and every stage of life has, has its own way it manifests, right? Um, I think for a lot of, the young moms I know in my life, like sort of the the mom influencers are the thing, right? And and then for uh, an older generation, it's sort of like this retirement, what should my retirement look like? How can I live my best retirement years? So like it, mm-hmm. it yeah, as you said, it evolves and changes. It's not just a teenage problem. Um, I think the person at the peak of their career is just as um, at danger for this as somebody who's been retired for 15 years because there's um, different communities. And I I was thinking back to one of our earlier podcasts together quite a long time ago uh, where we talked about the inner ring, right? C.S. Lewis talks about how every, every group has people who seem like they're on the inside and people who seem like they're on the outside. And we wanna be known by those people on the inside and whatever our field is, or whatever we're about. And so um, always having to identify that whatever stage of life we're in. And and isn't it the case that by and large everyone feels like they're on the outside? Yeah, I right. think it, I, I think it's probably a rare person who's like, I'm the center. Well, and I felt this even um, you know in church land, right? Where right. I'll hear the grievance of people at church that they're not like, they don't belong to whatever the group is. And I'm thinking, and as a pastor, I'm usually in whatever group they imagine they're not a part of. And I'm mm-hmm. like, there is no group. Like, what are you talking? Like, right. we got kids. Like, I don't see anybody. Like, there, there's not like this shadowy inner yeah. circle that is meeting without telling people, right? Mm-hmm. And yet over the years, regularly people would describe the experience of feeling left out at church. And, and there isn't an in, mm-hmm. but they still feel left out. And, and, and that just phenomenon almost of like even when it's not there everyone right. by default seems to feel like they're outside of something or yeah or they've all they've been in experiences before where there definitely wasn't in and they weren't a part of it and so they map it onto their next several, yeah yeah okay. yeah and whatever whatever place that could be right work friends uh church but yeah i think i think that the it because it plays up in it, and Rebecca DeYoung talks about it in the idea of it also vainglory can can play up by identity too right like mm-hmm. how we're known um, like I want to be known as the person who is X you know I want to be known as the creative I want to be known as the goody two shoes church person I want to be known as the bad boy right so um, 
yeah, so there's always that attempting to uphold a false persona um, for acceptance, for acknowledgement, even if it's in the tiny context of a local church, we can all fall prey to that. Um, I want to be the Christian who has it all together. Um, I want to be the Christian who's a little bit different, you know? (laughs) And so those things can become idolatrous to us in that it requires us to put up a face that's not authentic. Right, you start to perform to an identity you want people to think of you aligning with somehow, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is so interesting. I mean, an honest question, Laura. Do you think grown adults can be on social media regularly and, like, be okay? I wrote down a very simple, similar question. (laughs) Is it possible to have a social media presence and not want fame? Like, are those two counterintuitive? Right. And uh, is it possible to have a podcast? And Ooh, <laughs> Oh, no. Ladies and gentlemen. We're aware of the irony. We know. <laughs> um, I ask that of my students every year. Is it po- like, if you're on social media, do you want to be famous? And they say no. And I'm like, but isn't it inherently? Then just text pictures to your friends. <laughs> oh, man. So, I don't know, David Woods. I don't know if it's possible. I think there's wonderful Christians putting out great content on social media. Um but I think you have to be heavily disciplined in your usage of it uh, in order for it not to become an exercise in vain glory. Um, and I say that for myself as well. Because it's so fundamentally all of us, right? Like, yeah. this, isn't, this is an impulse everyone has mm-hmm. to be recognized. And so if you're on a platform in which that is an open-ended number of points yeah. of recognition, how are you managing that when the whole appeal of the platform is that it is limitless as to its right. ability to reach? And at any moment, if you get the right share from the right person, that could sure. change your life. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, because I would say that to the teenagers that we teach, mm-hmm. I would say that to them, I might hesitate with adults because I'm like, I don't know if people feel bad. Who are right. my peers, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sound judgy or whatever. Um, but I would totally say that to like a 14-year-old. I'd be oh, like, yeah. oh, what are you thinking? No, you you shouldn't even go near whatever. Um, you can have recognition from people who care about you and know you here and there and all these other places where it actually matters. Mm-hmm. And you'll be, and you're fine. You're fine. And if you feel not fine, that's already, it's a non-starter. You know, you can't go with that yeah. as a motivation. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that is, that is one of the great ironies is we, we talk pretty good game, but then, but then what do we do in our own lives, our own sort of, you know, private lives, our own actual lives to navigate that? Because Vainglory works because when it works, it feels really good, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. really appealing. I mean, I teach, you know, you and I teach uh, Homer, and like I do one or two like very detailed lectures about how this structures the entirety of yeah. Homer's world of shame and honor, the warrior culture. It's like it's, it's not enough just be to, to be the best, it has to show. It has to be seen, or these warriors get suicidal at the drop mm-hmm. of a hat, and 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 wildly manic in their emotional and like you know decision making. Um, yeah. If they are not recognized as what they think they are, right? Um, it's not just like I can be quietly good at what I do. It's they live in a culture structured around you have to see and acknowledge it. If it's not acknowledged, it's not real. Right. 
And that's wild. That that is fundamentally different than I want to be really good at something, and it's really cool if people notice that. Because only only the things that you're you know remembered for actually matter, right? or like only if you're remembered do you actually matter, right? That's yeah. that sort of the Kleos absolutely argument. Yeah, their their immortality is your reputation after you're gone. Yeah, and so if it is not shored up, and it can only be secured by material possessions. I have this many, um, you know, cities that I've conquered. I have this many horses. I have this many whatevers. Um, that's the proof. That's the receipt, mm-hmm. right? Those are the receipts for your greatness. And that's why, I mean, Achilles loses his mind at Agamemnon because he's like, you didn't earn it, but you got all the receipts. Right. I won these battles and you got the receipts. And he's like, this is insane. Like, you deserve nothing of this, but everyone's giving you the reputation mm-hmm. that I've earned, right? So, like, entire histories and cultures have been designed around vainglory. Right, as the way in which we structure our leadership and in way in which we structure sort of rivalry competition that's supposed to produce the best of the best, the yeah. excellent aristocratic class, right? Like, so this, is, this isn't just uh, what the, the throwaway thing is like, this is the, the Instagram, you know, influencer person who wants to, you know, get all these free stuff to promote whatever brand and is actually hollow inside. Yeah. Okay, maybe, but usually that's unfairly coded as female, first of all, and, and, and like in the history of the world, this <laughs> This is like this masculine patriarchal kind of mode of an entire civilization yeah. built around this as, well, obviously, mm-hmm. right? Well, even thinking of, spoiler alert for the Iliad. Oh, geez, sorry. But even thinking of uh, Achilles after he's gone, his armor, there's oh, an oh, argument oh. between Odysseus and Ajax. They're like going to prove rhetorically with their best verbal skills who's most deserving of the armor. <laughs> And when Odysseus wins, of course, because he's the golden-tongued Odysseus, Ajax takes his own life. Takes he's own like, life. it's not worth it to be alive if I have lost. I can't be third. I can't, I can't be, third. be third. Yeah. Literally, you talk about inner ring that's only two, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't be third best when, and, and live. One of them is half God. Like that, right. That's it. Right. I, I can't be the second best human being <laughs> alive. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a really helpful reminder. Even... Uh, Rebecca DeYoung mentions that in here as um, glory they most ardently loved for it they wished to live for it for it they did not hesitate to die in talking about Rome yeah um, and so it is a little tough though because um, while there are some discussions we could say where it's like some religious strains or countries have always sort of viewed the excess of fame as this negative thing, but then we do have situations uh, where maybe it's spoken of as a negative, but then in reality it's what everybody's meant to pursue. Mm. And then we have this Greek and Roman thing of like, no, fame, pursue it at all costs. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the two pillars of Western civilization has given us that, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that's our inheritance. And yet, you know, we talk about this Roman civilization. This is the world in which Christ is born, the church is born, and everything after that. What does Isaiah say about Jesus? I mean, not to Jesus juke all of us, but like right. if we're talking about heroes, if we're talking about how to imitate and, and live one's life, he was esteemed not. We did not look upon him to desire him. He was not beautiful that we should desire him, right? Like he was not, he did not show as the thing people were impressed by, as to strength, as to beauty, right? So the the person for whom and about whom all of reality shifts and is made and is for is 
is the opposite of mm-hmm. the one who seeks recognition. It's literally one of right. the temptations from Satan. Mm-hmm. Throw yourself from the temple mount and the angels will surely catch you, right? Um, perform. Perform yourself. Um, show yourself. Let people see your power, your greatness. Um, and instead, we have things like him riding on a donkey. We have the humiliation of Christ, right? Right. Um, if if that's the case, I, it seems to me her remedy. So she she wrestles with this. We wanted to talk about it to some extent so that it feels like okay, we can all find our our place in this. Because, and I'm really glad you, you had said it as the Christian thing. Um, you know, you don't get Christian and then suddenly, <laughs> suddenly vainglory leaves. Right. right, right. The greatest peril of the contemporary church is the charismatic celebrity pastor. Mm-hmm. It's the vainglorious church leader who has buried right so much of the integrity of our witness in our own time. Right. So this sometimes gets going once you're in the church and you find a role or you have a place because yeah. most people aren't even a part of a community as they get older. Right. Uh, that regularly sees them. So sometimes it's like if you're a worship leader in the church, if you're a pastor, if you're leading something or doing something, you're regularly around adults who see you doing something as a part of a strange community and all of a sudden that becomes a thing sometimes you need to actually have sort of re-upped and and if you don't get seen or recognized you start to get a little depressed or down or maybe i'm not doing this well or you know what maybe maybe this isn't my church maybe i don't really belong here right like finding that place in the lord where you are content with doing the work you're doing, with being acknowledged by by him. Um, I would assume occasionally also by others, but I don't know that that's a guarantee for any of us. Um, it seems to me we should have some sense of like, what should I be okay with so that I don't have to push past that to be recognized more, right? right. Like wh- where can we find a healthy, okay, you know, maybe my wife, and my kids, you know, really see me and, and know me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe that is it. And anything beyond that is is lovely and, and probably fleeting. <laughs> you know, like yeah. we should there should be some center point, right, on, on this thing to have as a barometer because if it's all if it if that scale is always sliding and there's always someone who's a little more vainglorious than me, right? Like oh, yeah. you can always find a way to say, well, I'm not this, right? Um, so it seems to me like we would need to each maybe seek the Lord to find like, what has he asked me as far as 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 recognition or acknowledgement? Like what has he actually asked me to be okay with? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, as a pastor, I'm thinking of the harsher things where he's like, you're a servant. You yeah. shouldn't expect to be thanked. <laughs> for doing your job. Yeah, people don't hate you. Yeah. That's a win. Yeah. <laughs> if they treated me this way, like <laughs> Yeah. So so I think that seems to be pretty critical. Um she mentions magnanimity. Oh yeah, good um, word. Which is a lovely strange word. Um so on page 65, she says and she mentions Aquinas opposes vainglory to the virtue of magnanimity. A virtue, interesting enough, that is completely unknown to most people. <laughs> um, magnanimous people concern themselves with achieving great and hard-won acts of virtue as something to which God has called them. Hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Their achievements are genuinely worthy of honor. They are things that turn our thoughts to the glory of God because they obviously aren't something anyone could have done without grace. 
Hmm. Magnanimous people radiate God's beauty and goodness in the world, drawing others to that glory, a glory that transcends the person and his or her act. Now, I mean, that sounds pretty lofty to be, you know, to like say, okay, what we need to be is magnanimous. But, okay, so an example comes to mind. She mentioned the stay-at-home mom. There's a there's a woman at our church, um, Amelia, and when I think of her, like let's say as a mom, I think of patience and grace. I think of someone who's incredibly humble and is like seeking, like how do I do this well in a way that honors the Lord, like and demands no recognition, but therefore when you see someone like that and yeah. you hear about them and how they process things with the Lord or the desires that they have in their heart, um, like it draws you to the Lord. It draws you to like, right. wow, that is such a like healthy or like beautiful way of thinking about motherhood or about, right? Like, like that stands out so distinctly when you encounter it, right? It does. That I think is what she's talking about. Now I don't know that Amelia's like wakes up in the morning. It's like I need to be magnanimous. You know, um, she's just like I need to seek the Lord in the life He's called me to. Um, but someone outside of that or a friend of hers, right, can see how she does that, and it doesn't draw you to just her. It draws you to the Lord, right? It really does say like, man, it inspires. Like, it, yes. it, it doesn't make you feel bad. Oh, no. why are they getting recognition instead of me? That's vainglory, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when you're always saying it could be, you could have more of what they're having or something else. Um, instead, it's like, oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's it. Like, that gives you a, a sense of what the good life is or what that acknowledgement feels like. Yeah, I think the, the magnanimous person is going to invite you in, right? Mm. There's always going to be plenty of room uh, at the table. But uh, yeah, vain glory is going to have to naturally ostracize because there's a pecking order, right? And so I think, yeah, that's a great example of someone who inspires you, um, motivates you, gives you hope and energy is a magnanimous person. Um, And I think that's how you can sort of see who's in it for their own glory versus who's in it um, for the benefit of their community and to the glory of God. That's and that's that barometer, right? Like maybe I don't know even what that looks like for me from experience necessarily, but if I've seen it in someone else, um, and I think about the way they are, how they don't they don't have to be the one talking all the time. Mm-hmm. They don't have to tell you. Well, right. I, I, I it's funny you mentioned that because I also have a story about <laughs> about that, right? Yeah, I don't know anybody like that. Oh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, that's the truth, right? Like, yeah. it makes you feel like, oh, wow, I take advantage of several moments that someone like that lets go. Yeah. And doesn't need to be the person yeah. everyone's looking at. And I mean, that leads to, like, uh, one of Rebecca DeYoung's sort of techniques to deal with vainglory, she mm. says, is silence. Um, like, don't talk about yourself. <laughs> Let other people speak. Um, and that's such a small and profound thing, but it is a sign of a magnanimous person is you usually you walk away and you think, you know, they asked a lot about me. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's sort of the processing that has to happen after that when you realize I talked a lot. Um, but yeah, I think that that is a, a real true necessity. If you are seeing the roots of vainglory in your life, 
just try to sit in some silence, whether that's digitally or in conversation with other people. Um, like if your opinions aren't known, if your story isn't said, will you feel like you've been done an injustice? Um, and so that's usually, I think a really good sign. Um, you know, so many people who are active, on social media or in like the journalism world or whatnot, the ones I appreciate are the ones who sort of have this healthy, um, patterned rhythm of speaking out on things they've thought about rather than just sort of always having their voice heard so they can be a part of the fray. And, and I think that applies to people in my personal life as well. She says, in silence, we can recognize this anxious seeking for others' approval for what it is. We can acknowledge our need to constantly put ourselves in the best light and create an approving audience for ourselves and meditate instead on God's love to quell our desire for recognition and acclaim when it goes awry. That, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's the idea of like the social media fast, right? Like right. It, it's meant to, or any kind of Lenten practice that's worth its salt, right? It's meant to help you hear and see better because the noise is 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 part of the problem right that if mm-hmm. we're not participating we're losing or we're we're not yeah. being seen right like we're out of the inner ring right and she another quote that stood out to me she says talking about prayer in in the fill the silence with prayer she says listening in prayer for god's voice of love without filling the time with our own image building plans brings relief from the incessant work of propping up our self image and feeding our vainglorious desires for attention and approval. And I think that a huge part of this whole vice conversation, right, is that when you push away vice, you actually have true freedom. And and I, I appreciate that, that in that quote, she speaks to the, you can free yourself, you can have relief from the incessant work of propping up our own self-image. Um, and that's actually true freedom, is you don't have to, constantly build a platform for yourself or constantly prove your value to the people around you um, when you are able to listen for God's love and be fully known and fully loved by him. She makes that point that the irony of vainglory is it leaves you isolated. Yeah. Right? Because if you're crafting and curating an image to be recognized, you have to hide your failures and deficiencies because that will lose the game for you. Mm-hmm. And she's so ironically, it pushes you away from people, um, from being known, from being honest, right? You end up, you know, twisting the truth a little bit to get a laugh or improving a story a little bit to sound, you know, even more clever or whatever on the fly. Um, and, and yet when she gets to those remedies of, of spiritual disciplines, she mentions silence and then she mentions solitude. Mm-hmm. And so solitude is not isolation, right? Solitude right. is this spiritual discipline. She says it frees us from the panicked need, which you were just talking about, that panicked need for acclaim and approval. The discipline of solitude removes our audience. Yeah. So we there's nothing to curate. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Because there's nothing to be seen. Right. 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 And I think we've all had those evenings, right, where we have nothing planned and it makes us nervous. Or, or, I mean, maybe we haven't all had those evenings. I've had those evenings where I have nothing on the books. It's 3 p.m. and I think, like, I need to make, I need to make something happen. Um, and then to try to be settled in, like, solitude is okay. Silence is okay. Um, 
And I think that it's being okay with those moments and not sort of uh, trying to know ourselves and know our identity apart from other people is uh, a big task, but I think it is one that the Lord is desirous of us to have of like, we obviously are, community is important and it matters and we're not isolationists by any means, but to know that even if all that was to fade away, your identity and who God created you to be would still stand um, is going to require some reminders of just some moments in quiet and solitude with him. Have you, she, she includes in those disciplines, um, fasting, and yet she describes it as fasting from advertisements, from yeah. shopping, yeah. from commercials, from catalogs for a certain period of time. Another form of silence, right, or silencing the voices around and within us telling us how to craft our image for successful worldly consumption. Um, have, you, have you experienced like um, anything that was sort of that deliberate where you're like, I'm, I'm gonna try to step away from, I don't know, like a, a month away from shopping at certain places or um, I, I, I haven't in that sense. I haven't been that like intentional Yeah, you know, it, I, I've never done it that intentionally. I tend to uh, err on the other side of things actually where it's like, I should probably replace these clothes that are pretty <laughs> old. Um, but I am 100% guilty of the search, I guess the, the Google search or the constant, um, I don't know, there's sort of, I can often tell when I'm getting into sort of a, a Google frenzy, whether that be researching, um, yeah, clothing, researching homes, researching something, you can kind of tell when the anxiety is like, peaking mm-hmm. because there's a constant search and uh and so i think that while i have never fasted in that deliberate way from purchasing um i have had to fast in certain ways from social media or pinterest or things that are like presenting that perfect life because then those are the things that result in those you know uh rabid searches of like i've got to fix this problem or i've got to um and so, but I think that it's it's all sort of interconnected in practice. Do you feel that as you've sort of come out of the, the teenage years into different phases of life, that it's been genuinely easier? Has this sort of uh, dealing with vainglory, do you feel like there, is there a generic encouragement for young people hmm. that like, hey, that anxiety or that need, it, it's not always that strong all the time? Yeah. I would say it's not always that strong all the time. I think the more you have like a tight church community and a good group of friends, it can diminish as well. Um, I mean, this may be helpful or unhelpful. Getting married is a helpful way to relieve a lot of that because <laughs> you don't sort of have to worry about what you're putting out like visually and who will be interested. Um, so I do think that certain stages of life, having the career path you like, like sort of that settling in, um, alleviate some of that. But I think even becoming more comfortable in your own skin, I tell my students all the time that every year after 25 has been better so far because I'm just more comfortable in who I am and what I want and I what know. I know about. Um, people tend, my teenagers tend not to believe me, <laughs> but I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm not just deluded, I promise. Um, because yeah, you don't really crave attention from a certain kind of person anymore. Um, 
at least that's been my experience. That might be due to I think that's I think that's due to deep uh, roots in the church community and uh, having good work to do with my hands. Because we do, as she opened, right? We do need to be seen and to be connected right. to people. Mm-hmm. Like that's why that is a fundamental part of our nature um, to be acknowledged on on some fundamental level. Um, knowing the Lord's true acknowledgement of us mm-hmm. is something that when reminded of or when there is a stillness or when we've, you know, got to a place where we actually are living in that reality, it, it does feel different to, to, to just yeah. remember like, oh, this doesn't matter. He, he knows. He's called me to this. He, he's with me. He sees me. <laughs> that was my flip phone. I apologize. Going off. Episode on flip phones <laughs> coming soon. I got I got the flip phone, Laura, for this reason, right? And yeah. now that's interrupting me. Um, but okay, like that, what you're saying about relationships that are settling, right? Yeah. And in, in, in the teenage years, you're trying to figure out who you are and who are your people, and it is right. really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but it should be the case, even if vainglory never goes away, only gets maybe more subtle. Um, more, you got to be more and more intentional about it because it's maybe less obvious. But it should be the case that as we are entering that life the Lord has for us, we're also coming alongside the few, you know, who are also being yeah. called in those ways. And there should be that settling of the soul. Uh, if you're growing older and you're like isolated from that, like that's that would be one of the things on this in this section of like we need to be up to right like deep Mm -hmm. friendship connection with people at church like that's a huge help for this because that Mm -hmm. natural need is being met in a a meaningful way that Mm -hmm. that isn't having to be performed for or um, elicited in some sort of shallow sense and yeah i think you just see over time how people come and go there's there's people who stay for the long term and then there's people who come and go and you kind of realize like wow i spent a lot of time and energy trying to impress someone i don't even speak to nor want to speak to anymore you know um and so i think that yeah with time those relationships that you invest in that are deep and meaningful remain and um we'll see you through things and those that are just uh, friendships or connections for a season pass and you realize oh i don't want to spend my energy on on people who aren't going to be there um or people who are, are fickle with their their attention or their affection and I don't I and the same I don't want to spend my time and attention and affection on people who um aren't in it for the long haul in that sense so yeah I think that's part of the aging process that um if that has that has been significant for me in this discussion of vainglory I do think it's it pops up in other ways as you age but I think some of the panicked uh, desire to be known of the teens and 20s changes. Mm. Let me uh, wrap where she does. She says, in the end, trying to manage our own reputation and manufacture approval for ourselves yields a life of isolation, falsity, and shallowness. What a contrast with a life rooted in God's unconditional approval. A mm-hmm. life in which we lay down the crushing burden of the opinions of others and give up on all the little human systems of self-aggrandizement and self-promotion that lead to nothing but exhaustion and emptiness. She's calling us there to 
something like Sabbath, something like <laughs> right. a rest, right? Which True is, rest. Which is what you do want everybody just wants, they, whether we realize it or not. Like that, that deep desire to just be, right? We say that about like someone who loves you. They love me for who I am, right? Like, but the truth of that, like to be able to rest knowing that, you know, we're not, I don't know, disappointing the Lord. We're not, you know, mm-hmm. failing all the time like that. Those things um, that matter, you know, or mattered to us may not be the things that matter to him, that his care for us is not preconditioned, right, on right. our performance, certainly not on our curated image. Um, and that there is this deep, sometimes really quiet, but real mm. acknowledgement that the Lord has for, right, who are we? We're more than he cares for the sparrows who he, who he does not ignore. Uh, how much more does he care and see each one of us? Right. And and he will remember us regardless of what we do that is, quote unquote, memorable on earth. Um, it's such an amazing, when I think about you know, someone who teaches ancient history, ancient literature, I think about how many people have come and gone and are not remembered, you know, that can make us nervous. But then you remember where you are remembered um, and where your name is permanent. And that's that's a profound thing that um, this world can't offer you. Yeah, the Greeks and Romans sought their immortality in their recognition and reputation. And Jesus said, your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Mm-hmm. And, and there is a security there that I think, especially those of us who know the Lord, should spend more time with, mm-hmm. right? Should enjoy more. Yes. Um, because so much more can open up when we're not harried by that, that need to be seen and acknowledged in that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Laura, for this conversation on vainglory, a word we're, we're going to try to bring back into vogue for a little yeah. bit here. Uh, my friends, thank you for joining us for this conversation. I hope you'll stay tuned uh, to the next of the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm.